Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated is almost always the case during uh, my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. If you enjoyed yesterday's show, um, broadcast from the home office and all that great audio quality, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but unfortunately we're back on the road today. Well, for some of you, it's fortunate because you actually like the entire concept that I do this in a car. Uh, and some of you actually like it when I yell at an idiot for being an idiot in front of me on the road, I guess because it makes you realize you're not the only one that feels that way. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and knock out some house cleaning. And I've got kind of a two-part show today, a little mini intro part about this Tea Party movement, and then I'm going to talk about um, selecting a weapon for home defense. And uh, maybe a little bit differently than I've talked about it before, a little bit more generalized, and we'll see how that goes. First, let's knock out the house cleaning, though. Uh, again, consider joining the Members Support Brigade if you think these shows are worth more than a quarter apiece, because that's what it comes out to. Add 20 episodes a month and uh, $5 a month of a contribution to help support the show. In addition to supporting the show, you'll get uh, information and exclusive content only available to members. Um, please come on down to Region 5's big campout bug out get together. Uh, I really uh, would love to uh, to get every, as many people to that as possible. And uh, Dan, if you uh, are listening out there today, uh, I'd like you to get in touch with Shannon Appleby and just let him know how you put this together as generally as possible. Shannon, he has uh, contacted me about putting together one for his region, and what he suggested is that maybe we come to some kind of uh, a, like an organized uh, uh, methodology, I guess, for uh, for putting together regional events. And uh, if you could I mean, probably, Shannon, the best thing you can do is look at Dan's, uh, just Dan's thread and uh, see how he's done it, because I think it's pretty much outlined there. And uh, I'll try to, you know, maybe put some organization behind this, but, folks, I'm busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest right now and, uh, you know, having about the same result. So I only have so much additional time uh, to, to do more. All right, so anyway, please come on down to Region 5's get-together. Uh, there's a big uh, Dirt Time 09 event, which is sponsored by Wilderness Way Magazine and many others, out in San Bernardino at the end of August. I'll be out there. Uh, Lights Audio, Lights Out Audio uh, novel preview is available on my site, and uh, lots of cool things going on. And, and uh, another, you know, real quick mention, uh, we've added two new sponsors to the site recently over the last couple of weeks. I want to give them both a shout out today. Uh, one is Ready Made Resources. They've been doing business for a very long time online, have a, a stellar record one negative comment on eBay out of you know hundreds of positives uh, great return policy good people to do business with and the other one's tactical response gear which is uh, you know James Jaeger and uh, absolutely outstanding uh, organization very closely uh, works with uh, SOE tactical gear uh, John Willison if you guys have been listening you know since before Christmas you know how good he's been to the show and given us stuff to hand out in a listener appreciation contest so uh, uh, please give James some business, too, if you can. And consider taking one of his uh, fighting pistol or fighting rifle courses. Absolutely one of the best investments you can make in uh, in yourself and uh, your ability to defend your family.
family, which is, you know, I bring that up because it's something we're going to talk about today. Uh, before we do, with the house cleaning wrapped up, though, let me say something about these tea parties. And if you are a typical Republican, conservative Christian, I'm giving you a disclaimer right now. You will be offended by what I'm about to say unless you pay attention to it. If you pay attention to it, there's no way you're going to be offended by it. But if you are not paying attention right now, and that describes you, typical Republican conservative Christian, okay, please pay close attention for the next minute to minute and a half so that you understand what I'm actually saying and don't take it the wrong way. What I saw yesterday at this tea party that I went to in Arlington, and those that went to others, maybe you didn't see this, but I I would bet of the thousands that went on, half or more were probably a lot like this. I saw a Republican Christian coalition of people that were preaching to the choir. That's what I saw at my tea party in Arlington. We had several speakers, including the governor of Texas, show up. Uh, I don't even remember who the other people were. Rick Perry showed up, gave a great speech. I would have liked it more if I hadn't already memorized it by watching it one time on YouTube from two days ago, and it kind of ruined it for me. Um, But Perry will talk about tomorrow, because I can't go into him today and get all this stuff covered, but I don't know what to think anymore with that boy. Uh, He's kind of surprised me with a a curveball here that I have to support. Um, So... You know, he was a great speaker, and then we had some guy, don't remember his name, wasn't that memorable to me. I got the impression he was a pastor, or at least at one time in his life was a pastor and an author, uh, with a very religious message. We had a young kid from uh, UT uh, Arlington, uh, Young Republicans Club, and he probably was the best person there out of everybody because he made sense, and he talked about the things that we're actually supposed to be talking about uh, at the Tea Party. Uh, There was some guy from some legal group that was talking about some nonsense the state legislature's doing. And he was right, but it really didn't fit the the whole point of the day. Uh, And we had some congressional clown there, a Republican congressional clown, and he wasn't memorable enough for me to remember which one he was either. And, And this is what I got out of yesterday, that the tea parties are about standing up as moral Christians in this country to change the nation back to a state of morality. And including things like abortion and gay marriage, gays in the military, and some miscellaneous other things like stem cell research were brought up. And it's distinctively anti-Obama. Now you might be sitting out there if you feel that way, so going, well, what's wrong with that? Well, this is America, and you have freedom, and God, I wish there were more people like you. Really, I do, because I'd rather have you running the country than the people that are running the country now. So there's nothing wrong with it if you're having a Republican rally. There's nothing wrong with it if you're having a religious rally. But if you make the tea parties about Republicanism and morality and religion at a grandiose top-level thing, more about putting us back on a road of morality and religion and faith in God and Jesus, is the way it was expressed yesterday, then these, these tea parties aren't going to go anywhere. I'm not saying it's wrong, so please don't write me and explain to me how you have to convert me or whatever, because I don't need to be converted to anything. I agreed with 90% of what was said yesterday being true and right. Just don't think it was the right place for it. And here's why. The tea parties are a simple message 
that are supposed to resonate with simple Americans, whether they call themselves Democrats or Republicans or conservatives or liberals. We are not going to fix this nation by putting it back in the hands of Republicans. It's not going to work. It's not going to be useful. It's not going to be functional. I don't want it that way. And you're not going to get it done that way. The campaign to not elect Barack Obama was a Republican campaign, and it failed. See, the Tea Parties are a simple, simple message. Government is spending too much of our money, and after they've spent it, then they're coming to us to cash the check by increasing taxation. And if they don't do it with income tax, they find some other tax to tax us with. They tax the gas higher. They tax cigarettes higher. They increase a property tax. They increase, they increase, they increase. The only constants are more spending and more taxes. That's it. And that we need to rein in government and stop them from spending so much of our damn money and taking so much out of our pockets. That's the entire message. Now, anything else that you put on top of it is only going to serve to divide people, not to bring more people in. And what you'll end up with is a group of great conservative Christian Republicans that might reform the Republican Party a little bit, and that would be a positive outcome. But you ain't going to change America. Because your neighbor that still has the Carrie Edwards sticker on his car because he's that sad of a human being, and you people with the Pale and McCain stickers, take them off before you look like that. Three years from now, you're going to be him, right? Maybe you'll be him seven years from now like he is. You know what I'm talking about? Carrie Edwards stickers on their car driving around. You look at him and you just go, man, that don't. If you don't, the McCain Palin, I, I liked Palin, didn't like McCain, but doesn't matter. You're going to be that guy if you don't take that guy. He's not going to come to your tea parties. He's not going to get involved. He's not going to work to reform his party. If you make this about these hot-button social issues. See, we can only solve one problem at a time with our government because they have the power, and unfortunately, we have to take it back before we have it again. We don't have it right now. They do. So we had to take the power back one step at a time. So what we need is a common, unified message. We can sort these other things out amongst ourselves. But at least, at least, we need to have a government where even when the guy that you don't want wins and goes to Washington, he's not pissing away your money and then asking you to pay the bill. No, 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 regardless of what his initial after his name is, D-R-I-L, I don't care. And that's all i got to say on that. And if you went to a tea party that didn't do this, congratulate the organizer. Uh, the lady that put together this thing that I went to in Arlington, if this gets back to you, I think you did a great thing. You put that together in three weeks, and you got the governor of the state to show up. Congratulations. Don't bring people in to be pastors to these things in the future, though. Stick to one message and one problem, and let's create a reform of government Across party lines, because if you just make this a Republican movement, all we have is a divided nation. And they do enough things up there on Capitol Hill to divide us every day. They don't need us to help. That's all I have to say on that. If you were offended by that, I don't think you listened to it. I really don't. 
because I'm more worried about, well, you know what? There's these districts out there that are so decidedly Democrat, so decidedly Democrat, Republican ain't never going to win. I want those people to elect noble freaking Democrats to put the nation first. Some of them do exist. I've seen them. You have to turn a few rocks over, but you can find them. And if you make this about our side versus their side, it is done, it is going nowhere, and it was in Zenith yesterday. And that would be very sad that this many people got involved in something that ain't going anywhere. I hate to put it that way. It's just the way I see it, and I have to be honest with you. Let's change gears, man. Let's talk about something that's going to get me a little happy instead of angry. And that is uh, choosing a defensive weapon for the home. And uh, how are these two things related? Well, they're not. I just had to say this today because I went to it yesterday, and and I was excited, and I was kind of let down by it, honestly. Uh, But a defensive weapon for the home. First of all, um, let's talk about an issue. The Second Amendment of the United States Constitution that says that you have the right to keep and bear arms. And it applies to you, the people, and even the Supreme Court of the United States has now said, well, duh, the people means the people. And there's a constant effort by people, and people seem to think this is new, that this started with the Brady campaign after Ronald Reagan got shot, and James Brady got shot, and, uh, you know, this is old. The NRA's been around for over 100 years. People were trying to take away our guns in 1900. People were trying to take away our guns in 1850. Folks, people were trying to take away our guns in 1776. That's why we have a Second Amendment. It wasn't that someday they might try to do it. There was a a belief at the time that the common man had no need of a weapon designed for the military. And what we have to understand, and what we forget so often in these debates, well, it's an assault weapon, it's a military weapon. You know what? A musket was what the Army infantry person carried in the 1700s. The weapon that the frontiersmen were using to put meat on the table and defend themselves from attack was the exact same weapon that the standard infantryman was using. In fact, in many ways, the sporting arms of the day, the first rifles, were better weapons than what the military had. They were more accurate and they had greater range. Which is one of the reasons the guerrilla warfare tactics of the American Revolution worked. So, I just want to point out that we need to defend the Second Amendment. And what I'm going to talk to you about today is the best way I know to do it. And that is encouraging gun ownership. Here's what I mean by that. If you have a person that doesn't own a gun, has never owned a gun, has never touched a gun, has never fired a gun, that is afraid of guns, and our politicians spit him a message of guns are dangerous and belong only in the hands of trained professionals like police officers and the military, he tends to believe it. If, if they say, well, you know, we may have to eventually take away at least the dangerous guns, which maybe we'll let them keep their safe guns, but the dangerous guns we're going to have to take away, he's kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, we should take away the dangerous guns, because he didn't know a hill of beans difference between what they're calling a dangerous gun today and what they're going to call a dangerous gun tomorrow as they slowly erode a freedom. But if you take that man or woman out to a gun range, Teach them proper firearm safety. Show them how to use a gun. Put one in their hand. Let them fire it. Let them experience it for themselves. Make it real to them. 
help them go to the next level, take enough safety training that they're not going to shoot themselves or a loved one. And my God, if you have never owned a gun before and you don't have any training, get training before you bring one into your home or you own one or you possess one, get a mentor or pay for training, one or the other. Don't make government do this for us. It is a bad thing when they do things for us. So do it yourself. Be responsible. But if you do that with them, and eventually they purchase a gun, it becomes their personal property that they worked hard for. They earned the money for. And it's handed to them. And it's theirs. The next time they hear about somebody taking away a gun, they say, wait a minute. This isn't some etherical concept here. You're talking about taking away my personal property. I own this. What do you mean you're going to take away something I worked for, purchased, and owned? You want to solidify the Second Amendment, create more gun owners. It's no different than when they told you in school, remember? Hey, if you, you got, when you grow up, you got to vote. You want to preserve a right to vote, you got to exercise. You want to preserve the Second Amendment, you got to exercise it. Be responsible, get trained, but own a gun. Now, if you're going to buy a gun to defend your home, what should you be looking for? I'm going to talk about a variety of different types of guns today. I'm not going to get real model-specific or caliber-specific. I'm going to talk more about the different platforms and uh, their advantages and disadvantages because every one has an advantage and disadvantage. Let's start with what people generally think of as a home defense weapon. It's usually a handgun. I can't say that a handgun's not a good home defense weapon, and the, the weapon that I keep closest to me at all times in my home is a 45 uh, auto 1911 uh, ready to go. Cock, lock, safety on, ready to rock, right? I mean, that is always nearest to me in just about all instances. Uh, now, so you would think I'd say, well, everybody should get a handgun since that's my primary home defense weapon. No, I don't think anybody, everybody should get a handgun. I think everybody should get what makes the most sense for them. For me, it makes the most sense. I've been shooting 1911 single-stack magazine, standard GI-style uh, 1911s since I was 11 years old. When I pick the weapon up, it fits my hand perfectly. I can point it without thinking. I know every malfunction that it could possibly have and how to correct it. I can take it apart, put it back together blindfolded. I'm not bragging. I'm just making a point. I am so fam- intimately familiar with that weapon. And since it's a great weapon for knockdown power, uh, for speed, and for interiors, the one real advantage with a handgun is, uh, actually two, I would say. One is that it's much easier to move through a building with a short barrel of a handgun than even a, even a relatively short carbine. And uh, you don't really have the disadvantage of the range advantage. What I mean is, if you got two guys having a, a gunfight and they're 100 yards away, and one's got a rifle and the other's got a pistol, that the pistol's probably in a lot of trouble. You know, unless the guy with the rifle is just going to stand out in the open and present himself a beautiful target where the guy with the pistol hides. And it's still, you know, if the rifle guy's a quick shot, it still might be a problem. So, but that advantage is taken away. How far is the longest distance that you can see in your home? That's what I would ask you. And for most people, it's about 10 yards to 15 yards maximum. Especially in a shooting situation where people aren't exactly like, let me back up against the wall here so you can shoot at me. And you go back, you know, I mean, the the, the odds of having these long-distance shots aren't there. So that takes away the, the range advantage of the rifle, and it enhances the, the, the value of the handgun. 
especially when you're not dealing with a force-on-force engagement. What I mean by force-on-force is, generally speaking, when you prepare to defend your home, you're looking to defend it against a robber or a burglar or somebody like that. They may or may not have a gun of their own, but you're not trying to defend it against a squad of fully armed people that are raiding your home. And if you were, you've got a big problem unless you've got you know your own squad there. Your, your number, head count thing, you're going to lose. Especially if you're not prepared for it and they get the element of surprise, which generally in home invasions, you don't know it's coming, right? So, all of those situations that would make a car being more advantageous are mitigated, not gone away with, but mitigated, so a handgun makes a lot of sense. We have to understand why handguns exist in the first place, though. What is their primary advantage? Why do they, you know, why are they there? They are designed to be something that can be easily carried and, if necessary, easily concealed. They have inherent disadvantages over anything with a longer, you know, a longer sighting plane. Handguns are inherently less accurate in the hands of equally skilled shooters. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't shoot your handgun better than your neighbor can shoot his rifle. But you can shoot a rifle better than you can shoot a handgun, especially at longer ranges. It's just a steadier platform. So the only reason that soldiers carry handguns is because they might have to go into confined spaces or they need a backup weapon that's easy to carry because they'd always prefer to have a rifle on their hands. So why not a rifle for the home? Well, when you move into rifles, here's your disadvantage there. You move into a rifle for the home, and you probably are looking at a higher caliber weapon. Let's say a two two three, like an AR-15. You decide that's going to be your, your home defense weapon, uh, which a lot of people out there, I guess, have decided that's the case. And I, you know, an AR-15 is a clone of the United States military's um, M16 platform that's now have multiple variants and M4s and, and all these other things. But it's basically a clone of the original M16A1, which became the A2, and, and then went on into its evolution. And, and that's a soldier's weapon. Designed for use in battle. Lightweight, efficient, high velocity round. Now the problem with 223, even with hollow points at close ranges, you have a, a magnified potential over something like a 9mm or a 40 or 45 with hollow points uh, to over penetrate the person that you're shooting at and easily penetrate walls. And, and to be fair, a 9mm, a 40, a 45, if you hit a drywalled wall, you don't hit a stud, uh, even after passing through a human, it's likely to go through. But there's more risk of over-penetration with something like a 223 or God knows a 308, a 306, any of the common rifle calibers. So the caliber alone, when you move into the rifles territory, you have, you're kind of at an overkill point because Again, we're not talking force-on-force engagement. We're talking about a cat burglar. We're talking about a, a potential rapist breaking into your house. We're talking about home invasion here today. These other, you know, Milsim's uh, environments, we'll talk about that some other time. Focus on guy breaking in your house today, or two guys breaking in your house today. The other thing with a rifle is you're moving through your home. And you're trying to hide, you're trying to conceal yourself, you're trying to use the cover that you have, and you, you come around a corner, and you've got that rifle barrel, and it comes out around the corner before you, it's a hell of a lot easier for a bad guy to reach out, grab, and pull down, or pull to the side, or, or push forward, and come around with a handgun of their own, which is, you know, the preferred weapon of the burglar is a handgun, because it leaves his hands free, he can carry it on his side, or carry it in his pocket, or carry it wherever, and shoot you. 
there's there's just a disadvantage to a rifle. So what a lot of people do is they'll scale back and they'll go to a carbine or a carbine, depending on how you want to say it. And uh, so then what we get is we get some of the advantages of a rifle and some of the advantages of a pistol. Smaller, shorter, lightweight. Uh, things like uh, I recently purchased uh, Keltec Sub 2000. I got to say that's a pretty effective home defense weapon. And if you had time to throw you know a, a sling around your neck and have it on a single point sling, uh, ain't nobody gonna pull it out of your hands. Put it to you that way. They're not gonna get it out of your hands. Uh, it's very short, harder to con- harder for someone to uh, gain control. Definitely starts to push back toward uh, the advantages of a handgun. Can't say that I fault that as a choice or something similar to. It. You know, the old Marlin camp carbines, like, I can't say that they would be a bad choice. Uh, even if you really wanted to, you know, the M4 uh, variants, uh, civilian variants, short uh, AR-15 platform, I mean, moving around in the home, exceptional for that. Again, though, I just think that the round, the, the you know, 223 round, uh, you know, 5.56 millimeter, however you want to call it, round is overkill in a home defense situation. And I think most serious AR shooters would tell you, yeah, my AR is not a, not a home defense weapon. Uh, if it ever comes to the point where my AR is my home defense weapon, it's because we have looters and I'm on my roof. Uh, it's, it's not for the guy that breaks in. So I really do gravitate toward the handgun. I guess the other option that you have is a shotgun. And uh, you want to go with, with shotguns, like if you have a sporting shotgun and you decide, okay, I want my Remington 870 uh, or my Mossberg or whatever to be my, my home defense weapon to do double duty for me. I'm not big on the tactical black heat shielded um, military looking shotguns. I, I think those are a mistake for home defense because it takes one overzealous district attorney that decides he wants to prosecute a homeowner defending his home. Uh, it just gives him more ammunition to prosecute you with. Now, is it you know, a huge risk? Probably not, but I sure as hell wouldn't want, you know, a prosecutor with a stainless steel barreled black Mossberg, you know, Milsim shotgun walking around going, this is what this man used. And hopefully the jury would go, good. But, you know, you never know your jury trial. You're trusting yourself to 12 people to uh, either with enough civic duty to perform jury duty, and that's good. But the other side, and probably the worst side, is 12 people too dumb to get out of it. And I, I don't know how much I really want to trust my future to that and aggravate the circumstance. So I say you go with your plain Jane looking 870, but what you do is you buy yourself a nice short barrel for it. You keep that short barrel on it, and when you want to go dove hunting, you replace it with, you know, your 26 or 28 inch sporting barrel, but leave it sporting looking. Uh, ammunition, I've had some, uh, some, uh, disagreement with me on this in the past, but I'll tell you what, uh, if you dump like a number four shot from a three inch magnum into somebody at a home defense range, they've got real problems and they're probably had all the fight in the world taken out of them. If you're going to go with buck, I actually prefer number four buck for home defense situations. I think it reduces the overpenetration that you get from uh, double O and you got a lot more pellets going into a body. And uh, one thing to understand about a shotgun, even a cylinder board shotgun, uh, at a home defense range, you're not going to have this big pattern. And people are thinking, you know, as long as I'm in the general vicinity, I'll get a couple pellets into them. Uh, even cylinder bore at a relatively cl- uh, close range is going to be a very dense, very tight pattern. Uh, so you have to be accurate with your shotgun. You, your shotgun shots need to be placed just like the rifle shots, really. Uh, now, am I saying there's not more margin of error than a rifle? Of course not. Uh, but you need to handle it as though it were a rifle in the home. So 
shotgun has some real advantages for a home defense weapon. One of the key advantages, I think, of a shotgun is it's a very intimidating weapon. And if you were in a situation where the, the person that's broken into your home is not an imminent threat at the moment, and you want to prevent them from becoming an imminent threat, and you do not want to shoot them, and I think most people prefer to not shoot people if we don't have to, um, when you catch them in the act and they see the barrel of a 12-gauge looking at them, they're, they tend to get really compliant really fast. And they may not be able to uh, to really ascertain how much danger they're in if you're sitting there with your Glock. So I think that is the biggest advantage maybe for a shotgun for home defense is if you do not, have, if you do not wish to deploy it, it's a hell of a lot more intimidating to have pointed at you. And you're a lot more likely to lay on your belly and pray to God the cops get there before the homeowner changes his mind. So that is a big advantage to me with shotguns. I think in the end, though, you have to decide what makes the most sense for you. A shotgun may be uh, an easier weapon for you to feel good about your ability to control it from getting into the hands of your children if you have kids in the home. I say if you have kids in the home, you teach them how weapons work. You teach them to stay away from them. But at, you know, when you got three-year-olds, it's, it, you, you can maybe start talking a little bit to them about it. But they, they get curious and they play with things. So a loaded handgun, you know, where it can be accessed, is a very, very bad idea. I don't think there's any problem with making your handgun inaccessible, though it's pretty easy to do. I don't advise you to use a trigger lock to do it. You're better off with a gun safe that works biometrically or something you could easily retrieve it from than, you know, a trigger lock that you have to stop and put a key into while the guy that's breaking in your house is on his way up the stairs. That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. So in the end, you're going to have to make your own decision with a home defense weapon. My advice, though, is this. If you are, if you own guns already, you pretty much decide what you're going to keep and where you're going to keep it. So you already have a shotgun, you already have a carbine, you already have a handgun. You, you just kind of put them in different places in your home, different levels of availability, and then you respond to the threat. But let's say you're the new gun owner. You own one or two guns or no guns yet. And you've decided, look, I really need to beef up the defense of my home. I say find yourself a good gun range that will rent you guns. And go out, and even if you decide, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a handgun. I'm going to get a handgun. That's, that's what I want next, and that's what I think makes the most sense for where I'm at in life. Well, what are you going to buy? There's like a million options. You know, do you go get a Colt Commander 45 because you read a book that says it's a really good gun and that it's what everybody should standardize on? So you take that guy's opinion over your own? Do you get a Glock because, well, that's what the police carry? Glock 40. I mean, if the police carry it, it's good enough for me. Well, the police used to carry 38 specials. Yeah, they used to carry a 38 special revolver, revolver back then, which you've run out and bought a 38 special revolver. That might be what's right for you today. Who knows? So what I'm saying is, okay, you've decided you want a handgun. Well, go to the range. Rent as many as they'll rent you. Shoot. Shoot, you know, a dozen or so rounds from them. Get a feel for them. Learn how they work. Learn how they function. It's good information anyway. Right? It's valuable to know how different guns work. You don't know when you might have to pick up somebody else's gun and use it. You need to know as many models, makes, and actions as possible anyway. So educate yourself with that. Then you'll make an informed decision because you'll pick the gun, a certain gun up. 
that you're on the range, you say, I feel comfortable with this. Maybe you want to get a concealed carry permit. You, 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 know, you look at, well, what are my options if I want to conceal carry this weapon? What kind of holsters are available? You feel how it would be to carry it. Women often think they're going to put a gun in their purse. I, you know, there's a place for that, but ladies, you leave your purses a lot of times here, and you're over here. It would really be better to be on your person. So a lot of times ladies will want a smaller framed weapon, a lighter weight weapon. Well, fine, but can you shoot it well? Can you find a balance? So that, I mean, that's probably the biggest piece of advice I can give you. When you're considering what do I buy, go shoot it before you buy it. Go put it in your hands. Don't just look at it at a gun shop with a guy going, yeah, that's right for you, when he's making a commission selling it to you. Go spend 10 bucks for an hour. And go, go spend another 10 bucks on the lane and buy a box of ammo. You're making an investment in your life for the safety of your family. Take that step. Go shoot the dad god thing. Get a feel for it. Especially if you're buying, men, if you're buying a woman, a woman a weapon, take her, don't, because this is what happens with guys. And, and I could smack every one of you in the head for this. Yeah, I'm getting my girl a gun. Well, what are you getting her? I'm getting her a, a 357 Magnum. Really? Snubby or you know titanium? No, oh, no, no, no. Six-inch barrel? Huh? Yeah. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Colt? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you think you'll ever use it? A guy said, "Well, uh, yeah. I was actually thinking, you know, I could take it to uh, to hunt deer with. Uh, I've never hunted deer with a handgun before. And what he's really doing, justifying his purchase, saying it's for his wife or his girlfriend." You know, take them out. Have them shoot. See if they're comfortable with the weapon. And men, best advice I can give you with your women, all right, especially women that have never shot before, pay a little money and get them some professional instruction. They'll listen to that guy because he's got a title and a name and he's not so close. And most women don't like to obey husbands. I don't even know why that's in the marital vows. Because when you say you're doing it wrong, she's hearing you're wrong instead of you're doing it wrong. So go get a little bit of professional instruction to get the basics down for them. Get them comfortable with the weapon. Then, together, select a weapon. Don't go buy your wife a gun and say, here you go, honey. That's one of the... It's just ridiculous. So, a home defense weapon, if you can only afford one, then you probably need to make the decision together as long as you're on the same wavelength about guns. Some women are, no, I don't want a gun in my house. you got to solve that problem yourself, guys. I can't doctor fill that one for you. But, you know, if you're going to have a home defense weapon, there's going to be one that's going to be kept in the home. It might be most necessary when you're not there. So you need to make sure that any family member that's capable, old enough, and responsible enough to use the weapon is trained on it. That's another piece of advice that I'll give you today. So, I mean, I I really think the best thing that you can do is just kind of take a look at what's available. Go out and shoot some things and get comfortable with them. Understand, you know, the inherent disadvantages of handguns are accuracy. That's that's the biggest one and a lower lower power of a projectile, both of which are immensely mitigated in a home defense situation. As long as long as we're not talking force on force. So a handgun does make a lot of sense. If it's not going to be a handgun and you said, Jack, you can't have a handgun for your home. You have to choose something else. What would it be? I would probably go with the shotgun. 
because it has more utility, and if you're telling me I only get one for home defense, it means I only get one gun, and uh, I might have to use that gun in various other ways, and uh, it would be more advantageous to me than, than a carbine in most situations, because I can use it for everything from throwing slugs in it and shooting deer, uh, to putting birdshot in it and knocking doves out of the air, so I'm going to get more utility out of it. If you said, no, 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 look, you can have as many guns as you want, but you can only have one that gets dedicated to home defense, uh, that's easily accessible at all times in your home, and, uh, you know, now pick. You know, so you don't, like, you're not kind of picking, like, you know, a general if you only had one gun type of situation. I, I might gravitate toward the carbine in that situation, especially things like the Keltec uh, Sub 2000. Uh, four pounds, lightweight, easy to accessorize with a sling and make it very, uh, very sturdy on the body. Uh, quickly deployed, easily concealed. It is basically a, a, a long barreled handgun with a little stock on it. So I, I may go back there. But again, what I would do doesn't mean that much in reality. You have to get out and become familiar with as many weapons as possible. And then you have to make your decision based on your home, your perceived threat level, the other people that live in your home with you, the other people you would want to keep away from the weapon, and the other people you would want comfortable using the weapon. And after assessing all that, then you'll be able to make the best decision possible to provide more protection for your home. I will say this. I don't talk a ton about guns on this show. This is not a militant show. This is not a militia-type show. This is, you know, you're never going to hear me. Today we're going to talk about uh, 57 different models of the AR-15, and I know some of you would like that, but there's gun podcasts out the yin-yang. There's plenty of information out there on guns. But from a survival mindset, the gun is important. It may be one of the most important tools we have available to us. And here's why I feel that way. I talk about being self-sufficient, independent, and being as dependent on few government systems as possible. The police force, while I love those guys, I have one in the family, I thank police officers just about every opportunity I get and say, hey man, thank you for being willing to put your ass on a line for me. As much as I love the police, they're a government system. And if I call you and you're a police officer, you have a time that it's going to take you to get to where I'm at to help me. You're pretty good at dealing with a crime after it happened. Seldom do you get the opportunity to prevent it from happening. I know you guys prevent them all the time, but in most instances you're responding to something, and that's too late for me. I'm sorry when it's in my home. And most of you guys, most of you law enforcement officers, you understand that. The most, the best advocates I've seen for legitimate ownership of guns have been police officers. Like, yeah, I own one. Well, of course you're a cop. No, I have my own at home. Because they see burglary every day. They see robbery, rape, and murder every day. They're the ones that always have car alarms and they always have alarms in their homes because they know it's real. But there's still a government system and there's still a time delay. And 911, God knows that's a government-run system. And it's probably one of the best things they do, but it still has its inherent limitations, such as i got to push the buttons and tell you what's going on so that you'll show up and know what to do when you get there. And when there's some guy trying to you know, kill my family, I don't have time to be messing around with that. I'll call you to come pick him up after I take care of the problem myself. There's just a certain amount of independence that you'll never have until you have the ability to defend your home. 
you won't have it. So you won't be independent. So you will still be dependent. That is 100% against what modern survivalism is all about. You don't put in solar panels as a modern survivalist. And those have asked, I haven't done it yet myself. It's something I want to do. It's on my agenda. It's one of my goals. Uh, but I haven't made the investment yet. But when I do, it won't be to try to save the manatees or prevent water from flooding New York. It's because it reduces my expense for electricity and it gives me greater independence. I don't grow a garden because I'm terrified that somebody might have used one grain of inorganic fertilizer to grow a tomato. I grow a garden because the United States has become a net importer of food. We've become dependent on foreign sources of food because there is manipulation at the genetic level in our food supply. And because if I don't grow my own food, I'm dependent on the grocery store system, the distribution system, and the economic system. So I grow my own food because it makes me less dependent. Not completely independent, but less dependent. So I think you should own a gun, be properly trained on safety, use, storage, etc. Because it makes you less dependent. And folks... That's what the Second Amendment was all about in the first place. You see, the whole reason that we had the form of government, the Republican form of government, when that word actually meant something, when Republican mattered, a Republican form of government was about people having freedom and independence. And the only way that you could guarantee the freedom and independence of an individual was to sanctify his right to self-preservation, self-defense, and the method by which he could procure it. That's what the Second Amendment is all about. It ain't even about a civilian militia. You know, following Thomas Jefferson's words about the tree of liberty must on occasion be uh, watered with the blood of tyrants and patriots, it's not even about that. It's about the fact that if you want people to be free, autonomous, independent, sovereign human beings, they have to have the right to preserve their own life. The government should step in when that process breaks down, but it falls to the individual human being first. Because a human being that knows he can defend himself won't buy into big government. And we don't have to worry about a revolution because we won't vote for people that promise to give us stuff. We don't want stuff. We want you out of our face. Again, that's what I think these tea parties should be about. But I digress from that. Let me just one more time send it out there to you. If you don't own a gun yet, take the first step. I'm not saying the first step is go buy a gun. Go learn. Go to a range. Go buy some instruction. You know, and if you've had a little bit of instruction, take the next level. You know, look up James Jaeger. Go shoot a tactical response. Go learn how to really defend yourself, how to really think. And once that gun becomes your possession, you won't be so quick to give it up. And I promise you, when a father hands one down to his son, and it becomes something much deeper than just a possession, when it becomes an heirloom, when it becomes a gift, when it becomes part of a family's legacy, that's where terms like from my cold dead hands come from. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent. 